crop and trust us. <laughs> or you can also go to cyberstreet.church slash give and do it online if you're familiar with that technique. Um, James said that, y'all remember Brian Farrell used to come here when he was working on the courthouse in Monroe? He called James, I think, or James called him anyway. He said he's praying for our church, so he's still thinking about us. He enjoyed worshiping with us. Uh, Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, no, Tuesday evening. <laughs> Not 6 o'clock in the morning. Tuesday evening at 6 p.m., the ladies' night out, inner beauty and outer beauty, where Lynn Masters will be in the fellowship hall. So I think most of y'all have gotten a card that was passed out that talks about it. We'll have our midweek service Wednesday at 6.30. And next Sunday, our worship service for Brother Masters again. I wanted to share something with you that uh, a little devotion book that I read. That's, this is the scriptures, John 5, 39 through 40. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which satisfy me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And the thought here is that Bible study will not give you eternal life. People can read the whole Bible and know the whole Bible and don't know Jesus. It is a subtle temptation to prefer the book to the author. A book will not confront you about your sin. The author will. Books can be ignored. It is much harder to avoid the author when he is seeking a relationship with you. The Pharisees in Jesus' day thought God would be pleased with their knowledge of the Bible. They could quote long, complicated passages of Scripture. They loved to recite and study God's law for hours on end. Yet Jesus condemned them because although they knew the Scriptures, they did not know God. They were proud of their Bible knowledge, but they rejected the invitation to know God's Son. Can you imagine yourself knowing all that God has promised to do in your life and then turning to something else instead? These things might include serving in the church, doing good deeds, or reading Christian books. No amount of Christian activity will ever replace your relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul considered every good thing that he had ever done to be rubbish when compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Never become satisfied with religious activity rather than a personal, vibrant, and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what it takes, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, at this time, I'll turn it over to our worship service. Hopefully the reason why you're here this morning is we have come into this house to worship him. Won't you stand with us as we be, sing that beautiful song?
everybody sings because we've been singing it all the years of our church life. And it's a, a lifting song. Love lifted me. Let's join together in that song. to sing it together. Another uh, gorgeous, uh, well, the children are going to go down. I'm sorry, I was about to get ahead of myself. You may be seated, then the children will go down, and we'll have a special by Brother Masters this morning.
Won't you stand with us and sing, God is good.
prayer. Uh, Bella Breland, you know, she got stung by a whole bunch of fire ants. If you've been stung by a fire ant, you know, it doesn't feel good. She shudders her legs and it just whips all up and down her legs. Sandy Adams, Donna Vickery, Charles Elmore, Jean Ward, Vera Eady, Blanche Harris, Larry Lawson, Robert, Cynthia, and Haley Worsham, they're moving to South Carolina. Our children and youth, our missionaries here and abroad, our shut-ins, Jerry Miller and family, Brock Spiller's family, David Lewis family, those traveling and the lost. And I think Bryce is going to come forward and say our prayer for us. Did it surprise you? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, thank you for this day, Lord, and thank you for just giving us the opportunity just to be able to come worship you, Lord. And I just want to thank you uh, for the youth. Um, thank you for the event that we had, Lord. Uh, I know that you were working there. Even though it was a fun event, you are always working in our lives, Lord. And uh, I just want to pray that you speak through Pastor Dan this morning um, and that we have a great week this upcoming week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, uh, I want to share a little bit about the lock-in. Um, let me tell you, I was delusional about 6 a.m. Saturday morning. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a lot of youth. We had 42 kids. Um, so that was awesome. Um, I want to thank someone in here, Miss Charlotte. Uh, she was a trooper. She stayed up all night with, with me. Um, I also want to thank Mr. Dale and Mr. Marlin for coming to help cook breakfast uh, Saturday morning. I know I was cooking pancakes back there while I was uh, not there at all. I was really tired. Um, but um, the youth, they had a blast. Uh, we played a lot of games. We had two devotionals that night. Um, and so it was a really awesome event. Uh, I, I hope to do one again maybe months away. That way I can catch back up, you know. And but um, yeah, I, at this time I'll ask Pastor Dan to come up. We're gonna sing one more song. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We're just gonna sing this little chorus before Brother Dan comes to, to, to uh, deliver his message. I sing praises. Sing praise. 
Brother Dan will. Okay, before Brother Dan comes, he's going to give me just a minute to say how excited I am about uh, this coming Tuesday. It's kind of quick, kind of impromptu, but I, I just got here, so it's taking, and you know, and we're getting right in the middle of graduations and, and Mother's Day and end of school activities, so I thought we're going to squeeze this in this next Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. I'm looking forward to meeting your friends and family that I haven't had a chance to meet and getting to know you better and sharing a little bit more about um, how God has been working in my life through my Mary Kay business and um, it's, just a, it's just a fun evening of inner beauty, outer beauty and getting acquainted with everyone. So I hope uh, you're able to come. If not, then we'll have to plan something another time. But anyway, looking forward to seeing as many of you ladies with your family and friends um, that you think need just a minute or two or three or four or five or whatever of um, hopefully about an hour uh, of just fun fellowship and getting acquainted with one another so uh, thank you so much and I will see you Tuesday she paid me for that so that was an announcement Hey, it's good to see each of you here this morning in the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be here this morning? Yes. Sunshiny day, sunshiny faces, and uh, this is the way to start a good week, is being in the house of the Lord. I'm so glad that you're here this morning, and uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate each and every one of you, and for who you are and what you are, I want you to know that you are loved Every one of you are loved. That ought to put a smile on your face. You are loved, most of all, by the, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us that we could have eternal life. I want to share some thoughts this morning from John chapter 21. I'm continuing uh, 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 a roadmap from uh, Palm Sunday through the resurrection to uh, walk on the road to, uh, to uh, Emmaus and to talking about Thomas, I think last year or last week. And today we're going to talk about Peter and Jesus. And I've, en I've entitled this after a book that I read several years ago. And it's called a fan or a follower. A fan or a follower. And that's what I've kind of uh, nicknamed what I want to share together. But if you'll read with me from John 21, verses 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, 
you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I know probably most of you are, are, are tired about me talking about my previous life in Illinois, but I, and I've even mentioned this as an illustration, but as I come into this message this morning, it just illustrates so much what I want to challenge you with this morning. Are you a fan of Jesus Christ? Or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? As I have confessed and been crucified for it already, by the way, I am a Chicago Cub baseball fan. From my earliest recollections, I have always had the tendency to pay special attention to the all-time underdogs of the sports world. Probably it stemmed from my father's preferences. As a, a little boy, he was a fan of the Cubs. My dad would take us boys to Wrigley Field each summer. We'd usually be playing the St. Louis Cardinals as I had two siblings that had not seen the light and rooted for the St. Louis Cardinals. And so we would always go every year to a baseball game. And I uh, kind of uh, kept that in the family. I have a daughter that's a Cubs fan. And I think maybe she roots it just so that she'll get on my good side because I don't think she knows anything about baseball. <laughs> Dad would take us early to the game. And after the game, we'd stay after and we would try to get some autographs. And it may be an hour or two after the game that we would stand outside the clubhouse and sure enough, there were two of the favorite Cubs players that, that I received their, their autographs. And I was so proud of that. My dad and I always had uh, the radio tuned into WGN Radio. I know y'all don't know anything about WGN Radio. But we would listen to Jack Brickhouse and Lou Boudreaux, and they would describe and be the commentators of each game. I then realized that I was not only a fan of the Cubs, I was a follower that was committed to the Cubs. I listened whenever I could, watched them anytime that I could. I took my old, my father's old white paint shirts and I would uh, put the number of my favorite player on the back of it, and I'd go out on Sandlock, and there were two players that I, I had their, their numbers. Uh, one was Ron Sano, I know you won't know him, and the other one was uh, Ernie Banks. And uh, I would always be one of those players, and man, could I play as long as I had those numbers on. Now, take those numbers off, and I couldn't do a thing. But something happened to me in 1969. I know that's a ways back for some of you. The 1969 Cubs, a team that will forever be mentioned among pro sports as the most epic collapses. The Cubs spent a total of 155 days in first place. 
and they seem destined for sure to make the World Series. However, they began to lose, and they lost 17 of their last 25 games in what was one of the worst collapses. They finished eight games out of first, behind, and this is what was really a stinger. Some of you may know, it was the 1969 Miracle Mets. The Cubs lost to the Mets. Now, there's been a lot of things that has been blamed for the plunge. Uh, but the end of it is sports to sports, and there's always favorites that we all like. I, I don't know who y'all root for around here. I know a couple of you root for Alabama, and uh, maybe a few more roots for LSU. Um, but you're a fan, usually someone in the sports, whether it be football or baseball or basketball or whatever. But to my, the best of my recollection, it was then that I became a Cubs fan more than a Cubs follower. Now, I still wanted the Cubs to win. And you'll even find me rooting for them today. But my world refuses to break up because the Cubs lose another game. It's a part of life. You see, I've reverted back to being a fan of the Cubs rather than a follower. You see, I didn't play the game as a follower. I was the one on the sidelines cheering and casually getting excited about the game. When Jesus first called Peter, yeah, we're getting to the scripture here. When Jesus first called Peter to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Peter became a fan of Jesus. In fact, Peter could always be spotted wherever Jesus went. If following Jesus was like our modern day sporting event, Peter would have been Jesus' greatest fan. Peter would have been the one, perhaps the cameraman always finds, you know, the one who in 20 degree weather strips off the t-shirts and starts uh, holding up a Jesus with his finger. Uh, perhaps Peter's face as a fan would be plastered with the sign of a fish. Or maybe he would have a huge foam cross on his hand making the sign of number one, go Jesus, the only one to heaven. Jesus rules. You've seen him on TV. But in all of the successes of Jesus' ministry, Peter was usually there. Peter was Jesus' greatest fan. Jesus was there for the raising of Lazarus, the healing of the sick, the blind, the leper. Peter was probably the ringleader in Jerusalem or on what we call Palm Sunday when the people shouted Hosanna. Peter was there waving his palm branches, I'm sure, and walks before Jesus leading into the city. 
But where is Peter? The fan of Christ when events take a hard turn against him. Jesus goes to the garden to pray. Peter goes to sleep. Like some of you this morning. No. Jesus is arrested. Peter falls back at a distance. Jesus becomes a laughing stock, the butt of the jokes of the crowds. Jesus is spit on, he's despised. Peter even denies three times that he knows the Christ. You see, before the crucifixion, Jesus would, Jesus is, when he's crucified, Peter is nowhere to be found. When Jesus is placed in the tomb, it wasn't Peter that placed him in the tomb. You see, Peter went into hiding because he was just a fan of Jesus. And days later after the resurrection, Peter decides to give up on this Jesus, the one he's called master. And in that last chapter of John, you'll find that that Peter is surrounded with the other disciples and Peter, the leader, then kind of states to them, he said, you know, guys, fellas, I'm going to go back fishing. To which the other disciples, well, we'll go with you. We're going to go too. You see, he went back after the crucifixion of Jesus and tried to recover his old life back again to where he was at. Now something happened to Peter after the resurrection and it wasn't the collapse of the 69 Cubs. I would address all of us today, you and I and all of us, are we merely fans or are we really committed followers of Christ? That's a question that we all must face. Even as we get up this morning, am I going to live for Jesus? Am I going to be obedient to him? Am I going to follow him? Or am I going to sit down and applaud the things that Jesus do? I got this saying from Kyle Eidelman that he says, one of the symptoms of a fan is that you think you are a follower. And there are many people that have said that they believe in Christ, but they have really not picked picked up their cross and followed him. And so, a fan or a follower. You see, we all kind of have funny things, funny ways that we use to measure our relationship with God. And we point to them as evidence that we belong to him. We might have a fish bumper sticker on our car. Especially, you know, the one that covers up the wounds and the dents on your little car. You know, to kind of decorate it a little bit. Sometimes we may say that we're a follower of Christ because our grandparents and our parents took us to church when we were young. Or perhaps we were raised in the church. And we know all the Bible stories by heart. 
You know, pastor, I can be counted on to be in my pew each Sunday. And I obey all the rules and the religious rituals. I was even baptized and participate in communion. Pastor, would you believe once I went to the altar, I cried and I testified. And I did too as a Cub fan. A fan is simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. Are we fans, enthusiastic admirers of Jesus? Are we a participant, a follower in the things of Christ? In our scripture text today, Jesus addressed Peter to define just what Peter's relationship to Jesus was. What exactly is the commitment level? And I think that's something that we all have to ask ourselves, whether we've been Christians short time, a long time, in between time, we need to define what our relationship is. When I went to work my first day with NASA, I was presented with a little orange book. Any of you that have worked for the federal government, it's a book about that thick. And it's called the acronym book. And I don't know how many of you know what acronyms are, but acronyms are uh, letters that describe a later meeting, the title, and so on and so forth. And in this book, there are thousands of acronyms that the federal government uses. For instance, NASA is an acronym. Uh, the FBI is an acronym. Um, and we could go on and on and on, but in this book, this book was given to me so that I would understand the terminology, the terminology that they were using. It's almost like a different language than the common man have. And so today, I, I, I challenge you with this acronym. D-T-R. You notice I made that the title of my subject this morning. DTR, what that basically means, if I could put it in my orange book, it means define the relationship. I would ask you, each and every one of us this morning, to have to define that relationship that we have with the living God. The question that's addressed to us, well, we kind of like the current arrangement that we have with Jesus. And so did Peter. It's a relationship where we try to connect with him every now and then. And so did Peter. There is no cross in being a fan. And we don't want to be a follower because it demands a change of heart. And so now Jesus turns his attention to one individual, and it's Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And while restoring Peter to ministry, he begins with the most basic issue of all in defining our relationship with God. Is do we love Jesus this morning? It's very quiet in here. Are you enthusiastic fans or non-enthusiastic fans? You know, there's all kinds of questions Jesus might have asked Peter that day. He might have begun with, why did you deny me, Peter? 
What were you thinking? What do you have to say for yourself, Peter? Now, in a scripture, Jesus is not implying that Peter doesn't love him. He's bringing Peter to the place of what makes him tick. He's bringing him to the awareness of why he can and he must serve. Peter, do you love me? Nothing is more fundamental to who Peter is than that. No question is more basic to real ministry than that question. He does not ask him if he's a great speaker, a great people person. He does not inquire about his seminary training or Bible knowledge. He doesn't analyze his personality to see whether he has the people skills to do the job. All those factors may be important, but they're not basic to who we are as followers of Christ. The one basic qualification for being a Christian and a follower of Jesus is bound to this probing question. Do you love me, Peter says. He doesn't ask Peter, do you want a lot of rewards when you get to heaven? Do you want to be a real success in life? Even closer to the issue, do you want to find your real destiny and be everything you were designed to be? Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants completely committed followers. Would you be that today? Do you love him? Jesus was never impressed with the size of a church. It's the commitment level that Jesus is concerned about. I believe that there is a possibility that instead of a community of followers, the churches of today have become nothing more than a stadium full of fans of Jesus where we may wear a cross around our neck, we don't bear the cross of following in. When we come to church, know all of the songs, open our Bibles from time to time, take notes, and even sometimes say grace at the lunch table. But that does not make us a, a follower of Jesus. You know... I found that in the Christian's life, people generally in the church, we don't mind making minor changes in our life. But Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. We know we need some touch-up work in our spiritual lives, but Jesus wants complete renovation. We know we need a spiritual tune-up from time to time, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. We think we need a little spiritual makeup. A little bit of Mary Kay. That'll do it. <laughs> Jesus is thinking total makeover. The truth is it's only in letting Jesus interfere with our lives that we can truly find real life. Jesus didn't come to this earth so that you would be better behaved or to tweak our personalities or fine-tune our manners or smooth, and, smooth out some rough spots in our life. Jesus wants a total transformation of our lives. Church, if we are going to be God's church, 
and be obedient. This is what Jesus is looking for in our lives. Total transformation. Other than that, we're just simply a fan. I want to give you a new word. I found it in the dictionary. It's not in the old dictionaries. It's in the new dictionaries. And it's called flexitarian. Now, y'all could probably tell me what that word means, can't you? Flexitarian. Here's how it's described. A vegetarian with a little flex. Now, figure this out. We all know vegetarians. And I'm not putting anybody down for being a vegetarian. Please don't take that wrong. But you may say that I'm a vegetarian today. Except I like bacon. I'm a vegetarian except for the exceptions of steak, ribs, and pork roast. I'm a vegetarian, but I'm not 100% committed to the vegetarian diet. That's what a flexitarian is. That's a good term for many fans today of Jesus. I'm committed to Christ until it becomes an inconvenience or uncomfortable. When something else comes up, my commitment will be adjusted. Some of us don't like serving the poor. Some of us don't like going to church. I'm glad you're here today. Some of us have a special appointment somewhere. But don't ask me to forgive. Don't ask to mess with my lifestyle in Jesus. And I'll follow you otherwise because I'm just a fan. And many people today, they call themselves Christians, anointed ones, followers of Jesus. They want it to be their identity. But when you call yourself Christian, you are saying you are a follower of Christ and a lot of us who are fans follow just close enough only to want the benefits of that relationship. But we don't want to be too close that it requires a commitment or sacrifice. I had a woman in one of my former churches come up to me and said, Pastor, you're reading from the, I was reading from the King James Version at that time and I use different versions to help get a more clear understanding of, of what the scripture indeed is saying. But she came up to me and she said, Pastor, can you please preach that we should take the Bible in moderation? And I looked at her and I said, there is no moderation from God's word. It is who God what God has given us so we understand God and we understand his plans for our life. He wants us to walk so close to him. The apostle Paul in his writings referred to it as Christ in us. See, you're the only Jesus some people will ever see. You're the only word of life some will ever read. Are you a follower or are you a fan this morning? And I'm closing out with these thoughts, five points this morning, very simply this morning. Number one is this. Following Jesus 
is one faith step at a time. It is the beginning. I had a, a, a young man in one of my churches that uh, started coming to church. And the first Sunday he was there, he came to the altar. He said, Pastor, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to get saved. I said, praise the Lord. And I prayed with him and, uh, you know, talked to him different times and tried to get him involved in some discipleship. And, well, I preached the next Sunday. And you know what? That young man came back to the, 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 the altar after service. And he said, Pastor, I need to get saved again. And I went through and I said, you know, you did that by faith last week. You remember? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I did it two weeks ago down the street at another church. He says, I just want to make sure I'm okay. I, I want you to know that following Christ builds on itself. And one of these, uh, one of these times, I'll, I'll preach a sermon, a, ser a series of sermons on, on the Beatitudes because that is a stair-step uh, walk into the kingdom of God. Following is one step at a time. When Jesus was leaving, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said, follow me. And he stood up and followed Jesus. That was Matthew. It doesn't say anything else, but he just decided to follow Jesus. Now I'm sure he wasn't complete commitment at that point but he was a follower of Jesus so much that he wanted to know more and he wanted to grow and he wanted to become more like the master following is a one-step process sometimes you don't get the whole ball of wax at once you know it's a progressive thing that God continues to lead us in his steps number two being a fan is believing it's simply believing John chapter 3 tells us the story of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee that came with Jesus and he said, Teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. He said, Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. The fact was Nicodemus really was trying to believe. And he was trying to be a fan of Jesus. He wanted to understand Jesus. And I hope, I think all of our, our Christian experience starts off as fans. But as we grow, we grow into that tendency of following literally with him. Number three, believing is not following. When Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, John chapter 2, many people, it says, believed in him why? Because they saw the miracles that he did. They were fans. I liked the Cubs because I liked them when they were winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go Cubs. Go Cubs, go. But when they started losing, they kind of lost my interest. And that's what happened after Jesus did the, 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 the miracle, the feeding the 5,000. You remember that? 5,000 men, probably that more uh, women and children. We don't know who all, but there was a lot of crowds. And Jesus fed the 5,000 with, what, five loaves and two fishes. And, and it, scripture says, and they believed in him. And later on in that chapter, Jesus goes on because he sees the crowd starting to leave. He says, you all are just following me because you want signs. You don't want to really define the relationship. Believing 
does not mean you're a follower. But number four, following is going public with your testimony of your relationship. Remember Nicodemus back in one of the earlier points, the leader who met Jesus earlier, he speaks up in John chapter 7. And uh, uh, he says, is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing, he's asked, in the crowds? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself, no prophet ever comes from Galilee. You see, Nicodemus was coming out public with his following Christ. Following even into his uh, being debated on who he was. Following is going public. If we're going to be a Christian, it's important that we give a testimony. We give a testimony with our life. A testimony with our thoughts. A testimony with our words. A testimony with our feet. One of the greatest testimonies you can ever do is come to church. And you all are here as a testimony of your faith and, and uh, uh, what desire to follow Christ. And then number five is going public changes everything in your life. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were both Pharisees and members of the Sanhedrin, the secret religious leaders of the day. But after Jesus is crucified, Joseph of Arimathea, who has been a, notice it says, secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. He asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross. And Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, also came, bringing about 75 pounds of embalming ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And together they wrapped Jesus' body in a long linen cloth with the spices, as it was the Jewish custom of burial. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus went public. And it changed their whole life. Their whole life from that point on. Because they were no longer just fans of Jesus, watching him from the sidelines but they were invested in his ministry and in his life. Well, we go back to the question. And I read this from Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. But he said to them, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And then another one said, Lord, I will follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. This is important to hear this last commandment of Jesus. Jesus says to him, no one 
after putting his hand to the plow, beginning and look back, wanting to go back from where they came, is fit for the kingdom of God. So I ask you this morning, are you a fan or a follower? Jesus asked us this morning, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Uh, he wants to know. He already knows, but he wants us to testify of whose we are. Are we sitting on the sidelines and say, rah, 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 church, rah, 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 Jesus? Or are we a commitment that will go with him even to death? That's the kind of commitment that it's going to take for God to raise up his church of today. It will be people that are commitment, committed to him, that have committed their life. We used to sing the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Perhaps we've turned back this morning. Ah, it's a new day, it's a new culture. Church isn't what it used to be. Well, who's changed it? Was it God or was it us? And God is calling us to be his followers today. We want to bring the world to Jesus. It will be one person at a time, starting with me, starting with you, and working in his kingdom. May God bless you. Jesus says, do you love me? The question we all have to answer this morning. If perhaps you would ever have a need to pray, I just want you to know the altars are open. If God ever speaks to you in a certain way and says, you know, I really need to make a public, a public choice that I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want you to know this altar is a good place. This is not just for a sinner, but it's for the saints. And I want you to know this is always open for you. You have a need to, to move closer to God, to grow in your following him. This is a good place to make that public and private commitment to him. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that you give us. Lord, there's sometimes we like to hear encouragement from the Word of God. And Lord, you give it to us. Sometimes we like to hear teaching and you give it to us. But sometimes you give us challenges from the Word of God that we must answer. And the fact is nobody can answer those challenges except we ourselves. This morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would flow into the hearts and minds of each one here this morning. And they would say, Lord, I want to be a follower. I don't want to turn back. I want to grow into that kingdom. I want to be like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can consider your challenge to Peter and to us this morning. Do we love you? He says, feed my lambs. In Jesus' name, amen. As you stand this morning.
that you've enjoyed being with me. I hope that we can take the words of God, the challenges that he gives us, and don't just leave them at the door, but let's think about it. Let's meditate on what does it truly mean to love Jesus? It means to be a follower. I pray that you guys will have a great week. I'm not supposed to say guys. I'm supposed to say you all. You all will have a great week and that you, you will come back and to our time next week. Uh, plan now for Mother's Day. We're going to have a special day for mothers. And bring your kids, bring your grandkids, bring your great-grandkids. And if you have some great-great-great-grandkids, bring them too. Uh, just, you know, just come. And we're going to have a great day of honoring our mothers that day. That's two weeks from today, I believe. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week.